0: back to another episode of Inspire AD, the podcast that's all about the nuts and bolts and origin story and future of the Texas indie powerhouse Inspire Pro. It's hosted by Max and Biss, the two masterminds behind Inspire. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, I suggest checking that one out first. It's a nice introduction to the company and their history. And it's one of those nuts and bolts type of episodes. This one, uh, we're jumping straight into the first card, the very first Inspire Show ever, The Beginning. And I'm going to get out of your way as soon as I can. Two quick plugs, though. Uh, if If you listened through the end of last week's episode, you heard me plug Vivid Death for their song, Florid, which is what we're using for the theme song to this podcast. So check that out on Bandcamp. Vivid Death, Florid. I also want to give a plug to the High Spots Network, where you can find... I think every Inspire Pro show to date. So give that uh, give that a look. Highspots Wrestling Network. I'm sure you know what that is. If you don't, it's a treasure trove of indie wrestling from everywhere. So I'm gonna get out of your way now, and we'll jump right in with Max and Bist for episode two of Inspire AD.
1: thing that i've got to say is that you know we we went through this song and dance where we got the building we got the poster we got promo going we figured out renting our chair we got around the ring you know we got we got we got everything lined up and then the day came and i remember the one thing that made the blood just drain out of my face was this said be happy if 30 people show up and that is absolutely not what I wanted to hear because I had promised Deb Gill that a lot more people would show up to drink. And uh, while, you know, what, 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 you told me that there was a number to expect for a first show that I should be happy with. Do you remember? I think it was 50.
2: Yeah. I think it was 50. I think we had like 30 presale.
1: Yeah. We had, we had like, uh, you know, we had. A modest amount of pre-sales for for an initial uh, uh, initial, initial show, a debut show. Uh, you know, I was I was nervous. This could fail. This could totally just whiff it.
2: But but it, uh, and like the the marketing, right? The advertisement was basically our Facebook pages, right? Yeah, our Twitter, which. I had not built a huge Twitter following, being the, the head by play-by-play by play guy of a regional fucking indie, right? Um, but I'll be, well, the most nervous I've ever been before a show.
1: Our easily. first show? Yeah, okay. easily. I remember there were a few shows where you said
2: that you felt like you
1: were going to vomit.
2: Yeah, that became pretty common the first couple of years. Uh, it was almost like if I didn't, I fucking... It was like, that's a bad omen, right? Yeah. Um, but Yeah. Literally, fucking my stomach doing backflips. Yeah, I have to imagine you were pretty close to that.
1: Not even. I think that's one of the things that um, freaks people out about me is I don't really get rattled. I remember when um, the wrestle circus people would come to our shows and they would chip, typically go, "How the hell are you so fucking collected?" Yeah. Well,
2: um, we did. We did get to a point, and we'll get to this later on in the series where we, <laughs> we knew that we knew our shit, right? But this was the great unknown. So jumping into the card, um,
1: the first match was a four-way qualifier to get uh, someone into the next show's main event that would put them in contendership for the, the title that we were hoping would would be delivered on time. And I remember oh, this yeah. first, yeah, this first match was uh, was a uh, void. Void. Uh, James Claxton, the cowboy James Claxton. And uh, Jared Wayne and... Uh,
2: Alexander Rudolph. Alexander Rudolph. Yeah. So, Void. That's definitely something that we have to get into a little bit. Yeah, was, Void uh,
1: Void was my baby. Yep. Yeah. Um, Void was uh, a character who was presented as the most generic creator wrestler uh, ever. And he... A lot of people, when they saw... And... and, and, and the character was played theatrically to the hilt. Even the moveset was generic. Yeah. It, was, it was really amazingly well-crafted by the guy under the hood. And I guess we need to get into uh,
2: who was under that hood. Yeah. One, one man was under one that hood. Man, one, one man, man was under Mike Dell.
1: One man, Mike Dell, who is a uh, staple of Texas wrestling. And I, I, he used to work at ACW. I believe, and there was an altercation that occurred in the building, which prohibited him from being a part of that company any longer. I believe he got into a physical kerfuffle with uh, the, uh, the uh, booker uh, of the club at the time, and I'm not going to go too deeply yeah. into that, but uh, I think that in a lot of ways it hurt ACW because he was kind of a fan favorite there. We all really loved Mike Dell at the time. And I thought that it was really essential to have him be a part of uh, the first show. And I thought that if we could present him or frame him in a way that felt like something ridiculous,
2: we'd get a big pop out of it. And I think we achieved that. We did, first match out of the gate. Um, Yeah, he was a fan favorite, but was the top heel, right? Yeah. um, Yeah, it was, you know, ACW at that point. It was kind of winding down because they had already had their match in 2009, I want to say. Maybe 2008, it's whatever. But the company was basically built around the rivalry between Showtime, Scott Summers, and Mike Dell. Um, so, Mike Dell, being from Austin and not being on any cards for the past, shit, I think it was three years at that point. Yeah. Um was was a, a great opportunity to take someone that was established, um, and get them in the company. You, you want to go completely in the mindset of it at that time. I think that I, 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 really had
1: the idea to make and yeah, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought Mike Dell would be a fantastic first champ, yeah. uh, mainly because he was such a strong Texas staple. People really respected him all over the state, and I wanted to not only do things that were progressive with the company, but I also wanted to do things that would make uh, the whole of traditional Texas wrestling really embrace us as a company. Um, Going into this card, I will say that my booking model was Halloween Havoc 95. I love 90s WCW. I love that pay-per-view, and I love it because it has a, a, a sampling of everything that anybody could really like it, it really caters to every kind of fan and i've always wanted to be that company the two things that i wanted to do was produce a show that had a lot of variety to it but also in the in the locker room uh kept drama to a sheer minimum i wanted to be the no drama company
2: yeah and i, I guess i'm more of a Starkade 85 type right um but at the same time, that's my personal preference. I think I've always noticed that a variety, the buffet approach, has always been the most successful. So, Absolutely. you know, um, there's definitely yeah, give there's me merit in that, and I think you'll see that as we go down the rest of this car. Yeah,
1: I mean, give I, I want I want Sullivan and Benoit brawling through the bathroom and sumo trucks on top of the fucking uh, arena. That's what I want out of a show, and then of course I want just good, hot, basic wrestling. You yeah. know. Um. So the Mike Dell, uh, or Void, goes over in this match and then rips off his hood to reveal that he is Mike Dell. And I remember when this was on paper, a lot of people, including Dell, he was a little cautious about it. A lot of people were like, I don't think this is going to get the pop that you want. Yeah. But when it happened, the crowd
2: went nuts. Well, you, you have to imagine, right? So one of the more charismatic people in Texas who is quite fond of his own looks, right? Like, all right, man, we're going to put a mask on you. We're going to cover you up. (laughs) And we want you to be as boring as possible. Now, the awesome part that I will always remember about this match is people, like, booing and shit-talking and just trashing him that were the biggest fucking Mike Dell fans, right? So throughout the match, just dogging this guy. And then the mask comes off and they fucking erupt. Like yeah, just awesome.
1: Yeah, so that Mike Mike Dell uh won that match to proceed to uh the main event uh, of what would be our second show. Um and then after that, up next was the Great Depression versus Jeff Gant. Um Jeff I believe w- had kind of a worked injury. For this uh, for this match, am I incorrect? Yeah, I think he was doing the
2: rib tape thing.
1: Yeah, and yeah. he he really actually got over by milking that injury. But um, the the real star of this match was the Great Depression, um, a character that to me really epitomized the, the the more colorful aspects of WWF when I was a kid. I really wanted to do stuff like that. I wanted to create actual characters and. Uh, Great Depression was uh, a great opportunity for me to really create a character. Um, And for those who, you know, have never seen him, he is this character that wears a sack on his head. He's kind of part leatherface, part boogie boogie, but he comes from the Dust Bowl, and it was always implied that he doesn't even really come from our time, period. Um, And in fact, he also had a manager at the time by the name of Penny Arcade. Uh, who was played by a lovely young lady by the name of uh, Leda Genestra and she basically would scream in French the entire time. She was basically the Great Depression's nanny. That's how she was directed to play the character. And uh, she got over really big um, but depression went over
2: Do you remember the story of the mask? you remember Mm -hmm. the mask showed up and it was like half done? Yeah. Didn't you... Did you piece it the rest of the way together? Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, It was basically a burlap sap with two eye holes. Yeah. Which I did. fucking...
1: Uh, yeah, I had to do the mouth and I had to, I had to add a lot
2: of other components to To, it. to this day, the only um, bill that has never been paid by Inspire. I never paid that guy. Good. So, um, I think everything else, we're on the up and up. I'm sure I'll get a flood of, well, you shorted me $5 and I... Never, but, Whatever. You know... That was the only time that we ever agreed to a price and didn't fucking pay it because we didn't get the agreed upon mask.
1: So we have we had the the the, the four way opener, uh, the fatal four way with a uh, with with Mike Dell, and that was a very classic Texas hawsey kind of match. Even yeah. I would say, so, like,
2: let's talk about the other ones. Um, well, hold on, but so we do that,
1: yeah. and then we have the more cartoony Great Depression thing. And then that leads us into something that I think that we were all pretty adamant about wanting, which was uh, something that was a little more high-octane, more cruiserweight-oriented, something with some high-flying. And for that, we turned to a company uh, by the name of uh, NWA Wrestling Revolution.
2: Yeah. So, I had worked with... So, in the six months between leaving ACW and starting Inspire Pro, um, I had spent, what was it, two months in the um in the NWA office um booking the NWA women's belt I guess I don't think I ever did any work on that job I think I went and agented two matches
1: Oh man I cannot wait to start talking Fuck. about when we joined the NWA
2: so yeah and and I think we even... We talked to them before this show, and they were not interested at all. Nope. Surprise, surprise. Um, but anyway, I had worked with Joe Dan, and I had worked with Eric Shadows, um, who were in this match. So I had seen them, and in, in, um, NWA Revolution was putting on some good shows in the Valley and McAllen. Um, and yeah, these were guys that hadn't really been seen, so we wanted to bring them up. They were new faces uh, that... Austin had not seen So this was originally A three way On the paper You remember that Yeah Yeah So (laughs) Surprisingly One of the uh, Hey can you get my buddy On matches Was actually And the guy was actually Cherry Ramones Yeah Which um You know A three way To a four way Didn't really make A whole lot of difference And their title Was on the line So They were basically Running the match Anyway Um So that one Went Went fine Um what do you remember about about those guys?
1: I remember that uh, they were very svelte, um, but I remember them being real kind of standoffish. But once they got in the ring, they were really they were really great. I thought yeah. uh, they, they and they really woke up the audience. They were you know doing suicide dives, lots of high flying maneuvers. It really epitomized because I, I remember initially. What I asked about was, I said, I would really like to get a luchador component on the show. And that, and you said, well, I don't know about that. That's a little bit harder to wrangle. And you said, but these guys, they'll give you that, that high-flying cruiserweight style that you kind of want to... You know, yeah. drag onto the card.
2: And I think the poster even said something like luchador action or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it did. And we had to kind of pivot into these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eric Shadows and Downfall particularly had that, which I really look for and enjoy, that like early Ring of Honor fucking athletic, tight black tights, knee pad, you know. Very wiry. Very. Um, they were, but there was, there was frame there they look like athletes right they they looked they were cut yeah they were they were shredded they could maybe bulk up obviously but they they had a physique to them right um so i had very high hopes for those two and then joe dan was the promoter at nwa uh, revolution so that's where he came up and then he had there were other people we wanted to work with down there that we'll get into on the later cards um but well, yeah, that ended up early on. That was a great relationship, kind of the first um, promotional relationship we had.
1: Yeah, and uh, Cherry Ramones was uh, kind of a, a happy accident. Tell I remember seeing him and Cherry would come out with the Latin lover gimmick to pour some sugar on me, and people really lashed on to him because he was entertaining. He was great in the ring. He was a little heavier at that point yeah. in time. Uh, but he was fantastic. Um just charismatic, brought it in the ring. Uh and at that point I think I was very happy with everything that was going on on the card.
2: And up next is a match that I have the match itself I have very little memory of, but uh the two the two participants definitely uh created their own stories. Uh we have Chris Cross and Darren Dean. Yeah. Yeah, this was a little bit too much towards business style. This was very much fucking dumb jock wrestling. Um, Darren Dean was from Davey Richards' school, I believe. Yep. And Chris Cross was um, a young kid that was coming up with Barrett Brown from the same town Barrett Brown was from. He was a year younger than Barrett. Um, Chris, we'll get more into next show. Uh, Darren Dean... um, was uh from st louis i think he jumped in the car it was to complete the car load this is something me and max fight on quite often as well is car loads so you've already spoken about not wanting to just put tack somebody on um so when you're trying to organize a car load you usually need to get like four people in because if you only have two you only have two people driving right. from right davy vega was driving down from st, yeah. st. louis so we had davy vega Uh, I want to say, was Bolt Brady up in St. Louis at the time? He might have been. ACH was. So Darren Dean was the fourth wheel, for lack of a better... No, I take that back. Wouldn't have been Bolt Brady. Would have been Alexander Rudolph.
1: Yes. So we had
2: Alexander Rudolph, who big Viking gimmick. uh, I fucking eat that shit up, too. So (laughs) Darren Dean, literally the fourth wheel, only on this show because we needed a fourth person, and I think somebody backed out. Yes, that was the Sean Vex match. Okay, okay, yep. yeah. So it was supposed to be Sean Vex and Chris Cross. <laughs> um, the guys from St. Louis were asking for a fourth person um, to, to drive down. Um, Vex pulled out, and at the last second I was like, yeah, throw somebody in the car that can fucking wrestle like Vex.
1: And being a being a, being a a student of uh, Davey Richards, of course, who I was a tremendous fan of at the time... Uh, I was, I was like, yeah, sure, throw him on there. He's, you know, these two young guys can can. They're two young guys who can probably get each other over. Yeah, they're going to be hungry. They're going to go nuts. It, yeah. and, and I remember the match honestly being somewhat understated, though pretty hard hitting. Yeah, um, they
2: they definitely beat the shit out of each other, but um, yeah, it was just not. I, it was much more of that St. Louis style of uh, of mid card match. Um, it
1: was not. It was not what I wanted. Yeah, I wanted. Was- I I I said go out there and blow everybody's face off, you yeah. know, and and you got to understand that at this point in my head, my ethos was all killer, no filler, and we had a uh, limited number of matches on the card, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, the number of matches you guys have on shows is too much, and that's generally coming from people that come out, come out to shows in the country, and they're used to like six matches with an intermission in between, and... At the time, though, you had a lot of Austin fans who were paying to go to ACW, and they kind of set a... a, We tried to find a middle ground there. Yeah,
2: fucking they were running 12, 14, 16-match fucking cards. The longest ACW
1: show at that time I'd been to was, like, I think
2: six hours or something. Yeah, there was a Guilty By Association that damn near hit seven hours. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah, so we didn't want to go too long, but we also knew that at that point in this particular market... People were expecting a bit more for their money than just, say, six matches or a two-hour show. You needed to really also pad it out so that people could make money at the bar. Yeah. You wanted people to occupy the space. You're paying for the space. So you want to you have the door open long enough for people to walk up, continue to buy tickets. You want to be open at the bar long enough to just you know buy drinks over the course of the night. So... A lot of wrestlers would give me flack for the length of our shows, but those shows were the size and, you know, length that they were so that we could get people in the door long enough and so that we would make money for the venue.
2: Yeah. Also at this time too, this is our first show. There's not there's no trust built. We haven't had time to build any trust with talent. Oh no. So getting people on the show was this was one of the hardest shows to fill out talent-wise because no one no one knew we were the great unknown. There,
1: there was still like a lot of loyalty toward ACW, so there was some acrimony uh, pertaining to us running. A lot of people felt like we were stepping into a town that was already kind of designated as this person's town. Yeah. And uh, I think I speak for Biss and I when I say that this was our dream and we wanted to do it on our own terms... And there was certainly not going to be any opportunity, I don't think, for Bis to do this at ACW. Um, but I think Darren has a very exclusive idea of what he wants wrestling to be. And even if he has someone who has the book, he still pretty much has it, it under his thumb.
2: It's always the carrot, man. It always has been. I don't know how many um, wrestling committees have been there just basically to you know, tell him how great his ideas are, basically. Um, so it, it was always that hey, eventually you'll be the one to take over, but no one ever does. I mean, you can see that. That's why yeah. he's still running creative. So, today.
1: and I and I, I I say this to preface us going into the match that followed, which was with JoJo Bravo, who I yeah. remember very distinctly being fairly negative about our presence and the show. And I remember him even wearing his ACW gear.
2: Yeah, which in his defense may have been the only gear he owned at the time. But I'll jump even further into that. Um, Darren Dean, this motherfucker, <laughs> who uh, right, okay. gets thrown on the card at the last fucking second, and uh, he, he, you know, I'll come out right ahead, he, ahead and say it. Darren Dean has since uh, passed away, but not to speak ill of the dead, but this is what happened tonight. So he's, you he know, held, he held us up. Yeah, well, he tried to. <laughs> he tried to. He came up and asked for more money, right, from what was agreed, so I go up to, to Davey Vega who kind of organized the car from St. Louis. And I go, Hey man, uh, your boy just had, basically held me up. Uh, you want to take care of that? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, Davey was very quick to be like, Hey, don't worry. We'll never bring him again. Yeah. Like, Dan, that was uh, the end of Darren Dean. Yeah. That was the last time. And uh, when he passed away, I think I'm a stickler for tradition. So I think, um, I think I, I was like, well, fuck, we should do the 10 bell. And, uh, Somebody from St. Louis was like, yeah, he was only here once. You don't have to. So, um, but yeah, that was the, uh, the rise and fall of Darren Dean and fucking inspire pro (laughs) this motherfucker. Um, so he, he did pass away, man. You, you don't have to let it go. Dude. Dude, (laughs) I'm still mad about it. I I know I am too. I am too. So we go into Jojo Bravo, uh, versus Alex range. Alex range is somebody I was very high on. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> fuck it. We'll go all the way into this story. So my 2012, my fucking favorite year in wrestling, let me tell you what. Um I'm trying to get Alex Reigns on
1: an um, ACW
2: show with with at an ACW. And the re- one of the things I really enjoyed about Alex was uh we were at a a very redneck show and Alex is, you know, when you first meet him, a fairly Texas east texas redneck guy right and um we're at this show and you know the you know family's around and the ring announcer's kid has this like fedora on you know that's what the fucking kids were wearing at the time right do they still wear fedoras i don't know that was a thing for a while right yeah well anyway he walks by and this veteran wrestler goes that's a faggy hat i'm like fucking christ uh and alex just goes how the fuck can a hat be gay, man? He's like, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, it's just a stupid hat. Well, a cat can't have a sexual orientation, and he just buries this fucking guy, right? Like, shut the fuck up, leave the kid alone, basically, yeah. right? And I'm like, all right, I like. Rains
1: uh I will say this: Reigns was yeah. He's a he has a very uh, pleasing aesthetic for people in Texas, yeah. but when you talk to him. You realize that he's got a lot going on upstairs. He's politically savvy. He's sensitive. He's soft-spoken as a person. Like he's he's a gentleman. And when you look into his eyes, you just kind of want to cry. You yeah. know, it's like you want him to read ch- children's <laughs> stories to your to your baby. You know, he's he's a sweetheart. And uh, I I enjoyed working with him. And I was immediately very very high on Alex Reigns and uh, very excited. And and then of course there's JoJo Bravo. Uh, JoJo. Uh, I cannot say enough good stuff about Jojo Bravo, who now goes by the moniker J-Serious. There is no more profoundly educated student of the game than Jojo. I think he should be teaching wrestling on a a grander scale than he is. I think that he is also one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever seen in this state, personally.
2: Yeah, the literally the only thing holding that kid back is his height and that sucks that in 2020 that's still probably the deal um but this being the first show another fun hey Darren spins the narrative um right the idea that was put out by Darren was well Biss is just trying to rebook ACW how he wanted to um which for reasons we've explained is fucking laughable at this point right um the card had been heavily revised by my original card, um, right? So one of the deals to get JoJo on the card, because we knew how great of a wrestler is, and we really, I really wanted him. I assume you were in the same boat at the time. Was I agreed to JoJo, I said, okay, we won't book anything that ACW could book with you. If I'm trying to rebook ACW, then how the fuck, why would I give you that deal, right? Yeah. Um, so I told him, I said, hey, we won't book anything. That could happen to ACW. I think after this show, he dropped that. Um, but yeah, that's he agreed to. And he was. He was very standoffish the first show. Um, and the uh, the tights he had at the time were green tights with the Anarchy logo on the one side. Mm-hmm. So that was not the best thing for us to have, to have basically our competition advertised, um, advertised on our fucking show. Um, one more Alex Rain story. Because uh, I, I love Alex to death. And he man i think it's is it rockstar in colorado he runs a a promotion up in colorado now with some some other folks um and i definitely want to make sure to give him the credit on that well i'll check on that and i'll get that name to you guys later
1: and uh just just kind of going forward i need to i need to just reiterate when he's when darren would say that we were just rebooking everything so far this is what we have uh mike dell was no longer allowed to associate with ACW. Uh, Jared Wayne, also in that first match, was not at all a staple of ACW, nor do I think he even appeared on a card that nope. I recall. Never. Alexander Rudolph was new to the state. And
2: uh, had not wrestled for ACW yeah. at that point. Darren stole him from us, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. Uh, Great Depression uh, was an original innovation, though he was played by Ricky Ramita. He, sorry, I have birds. Um, he, he, you know that that was an original gimmick. You know, no one knew who was under the hood. And then, of course, you had the the uh, NWA Rev guys who were driving up from uh, from you know South Texas. McAllen, yeah, yeah, McAllen. And then you had Chris Cross, who had never set foot in an ACW ring, and Darren Dean neither. Um, Alex Reigns, of course, had pissed
2: Darren off because Darren. This is a good story. Fuck, I forgot this story. Let's <laughs> let's get this one too. So this was a story I was starting to tell. Um, 2012, um, Alex Reigns came to a show with Jake is Um, there was a pre show. The pre show was, became a mess in 2012. Um, it was two matches and it was only supposed to go so long. So they didn't want to throw Alex in. So Darren was downstairs flirting and talking to Machiko. Um, And Jakus walks down, right? I'm like, Jacob's is like, you can get my boy on? I'm like, dude, I tried. It's fucking, we're tied up against this time. It's not going to happen. He's like, well, let me go try, right? So he goes down there and uh, goes down. And uh, basically, as Darren is not interested in talking to him at all, it's like, hey, I'm going to put Alex on the show Uh, of Found a Way. And Darren's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because he's trying to get in pants. So Dracus comes back up and is like, yeah, Darren says he can be on the show. And, like, I look down and I'm like, thumbs up? And he gives me the thumbs up. I'm like, fuck it. We'll find a way to do it. So I believe the match was, like, all of three minutes, and it ended with fucking a Mr. B superkick. So, (laughs) right, right? And somehow I had more faith that that would make time than what the tag match that was originally booked. So, yeah, we just moved a bunch of shit around, threw them fucking on. The match ends and Darren comes up to the fucking play-by-play booth just screaming, who the fuck is that? I don't know who that guy is. I'm like, that's Jake's his boy. I don't know who he is. Well, fuck, I don't give a fuck at this point, right? I think this is probably like October, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> Darren goes and kicks him out of the building. Big man he is. So Alex is like, whatever. He just goes to another bar and drinks the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, And, like, it was one of the better fucking mystery matches ever.
1: Well, what happened, though, was that Darren walked up to Alex and said who the fuck are you and Alex shot back I'm 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 I'm, I'm Alex Raines who the fuck are you (laughs) and it was legit because he didn't know who Darren was that guy was absentee that's one thing I will say at least you know when you step into one of our shows you know who the fuck (laughs) we are and we are on top of shit we
2: are on our feet all day busting ass yeah at that point Darren had gotten into this thing where he showed up like five minutes before the first match too um, right. Like he was some sort of fucking rock star. Cause there were other people that showed up and made sure everything fucking ran. Right. So, but right. That's, uh, that's Look, Alex range. Must he, be nice. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, one of these days, brother. Let me tell you. Um, the other story I have is <laughs> at an NWA event <laughs> in Dallas, we were up there and the talent had been split between d- two different shows. Something else that talent loves to do that Max is like, nope, we're not fucking doing it. Um, fucking so they were on the one show and the show ran late, so the fucking second match, Ugh. the fucking second match had to be pushed back to the second half of the show. So uh, one of the things that I enjoy on the show and Max does as well, which you'll see in an Inspire show, is we try to start every show with something that's very hot and set the bar very high to begin with. So I approached I approach Kevin Douglas, who was the NWA junior heavyweight champion at the time. He was wrestling Luke Hawks. And I was like, hey, man, um, they're they're running late across town. What do you think if we put you guys in the opener and let you have the exact same match and just get this fucker started off hot? And he looks at me. and He's like, I don't know, man. And then he looks down at his belt. The NWA junior heavyweight champion of the world on first. What a dickhead. Right? And then Luke Cox is like, well, "I'll do it, but if there's nobody there, we ain't going on until second. And and fucking Kevin's like, "Yeah, man, not gonna work for us." I'm like, "All right, man, what about second? Right, second's fine." So pulled the curtain back a little bit, um, especially in in independent wrestling. Second is where you put the match you're you're most reserved about that you're afraid is gonna shit the bed. So yeah, we put the NWA World. Heavyweight title, junior heavyweight title on second, and Alex Range jumped into the opening spot and fucking blew them away that night. I forget who he even worked. Um but yeah.
1: Alex is superlative, man. I wish he hadn't moved, but I I love that guy. I think I think I speak for his book when I say that. Alright. And then the match after that, this has oh, some this, yes. this has
2: some story to Our it. Our first argument.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I think I called an audible that was Pretty goddamn good.
2: Yeah, we and made it, it work.
1: Well, not only that, but it Spoiler also, alert, it,
2: it works out in the end. It
1: created an, a, a storyline that went on for a little bit. Yep. Um, so the, the the match after that was Bolt Brady uh, and uh, Ricky Starks, yep. who's now doing stuff. He, he did some stuff with NWA on their Power uh, YouTube show and is on AEW now.
2: So... Yeah, let's – you want to tell your side of it first or you want me to tell my side? So my –
1: I will say I was really – Ricky Starks is one of the reasons why I started uh, this company. I saw him and just thought, this guy deserves the moon. There were two guys at ACW who I didn't think were being used quite well. Uh, One of them was Ricky Starks. The other was Matthew Palmer who will be somebody that we talk about pretty extensively At some point. Um, But I remember initially we had Ricky Starks going over Bolt Brady. I just wanted this to be a barn burner, legitimate match. And I was told at the time, Bolt Brady, was it the the, the TV
2: title? He was a U-30 champion.
1: Okay, he was a U-30 champion at ACW. And I got lectured and browbeat and tongue lashed by many people that day about how I could not have one guy go over... This other company's champ. He wasn't even a primary champ. It was this to me kind of a superfluous title at another company, and I didn't really give a shit. You know, it wasn't about shitting on another company. It was just about telling a storyline. And so I was told, uh, yeah, you can't do that. You've got to, you know, got to figure this out. And so we made what we like to call now an audible. We made a change to the card where Bolt Brady would win by disqualification, and it kind of uh, evolved this storyline where Ricky Starks would basically lose his temper, and he would be further known from that point on as the hothead of an Inspire Pro. And uh, basically, what was it? Did he put him in like a crossface or something?
2: Yeah, basically it was a a crossface. I think he did. I think he put him in the crossface and just didn't let it go. And didn't
1: let it go, and uh, so Bolt... Uh, Bolt 1 by DQ.
2: Another very important finish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, So, I'll tell my side and then we'll jump into why that was was such an important finish, right? So, this is, as we discovered today, the only show card that was not emailed out before the show. Yeah. Right? So, now, it's fucking weeks beforehand, we go over all this stuff. So, um, yeah, this was a deal. So, the ACW champions not losing at other promotions was something that I pushed while I was at the company. It was a big part of me keeping track of what they were doing and making sure that they were keeping the title strong. So sort of in a weird way, not to come off like it was something in spite of ACW. Um, it's like, fuck, I, we, I can't break that rule on the first fucking show we run. Right. Um, so that's sort of where I was coming from with it. Um, bolt brady let's dive into both guys right um let's start with ricky starks because you've already kind of said that hey inspire was kind of the driving factor was to do something exciting with ricky starks and palmer um as much as early anarchy was built with mike dell versus showtime to me ricky starks was that guy for us that was the guy that if we focused on we could have a lot of success um Bolt Brady was a guy and has been in some headlines recently, but at the time was a solid hand, right He was a good friend of mine.
1: I feel like he knew how to make an entrance and capture people's imaginations. He would always make kind of a splash when he ran in, yeah though he wasn't necessarily somebody who kind of like caught my eye in the ring. I think he had a good look, I think he had a good kind of gimmick. I thought he was uh he was somebody that the crowd could latch onto very easily,
2: yeah. But, you know, there was the feeling that maybe he'd eventually, no pun intended, catch lightning in a bottle and be able to, to hit something in the ring that was just as captiv- captivating. I don't think that that ever really happened with Bolt. I think the potential was there. I don't think that there was ever an in-ring moment where it was like, okay, he finally got it. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that would constantly try to improve. He was constantly uh, going to other places. He would drive to New Orleans. He would drive to Kansas City. He would drive himself to the East Coast. And I think the thought process was, hey, this guy will hopefully hook up with somebody eventually that will kind of untap that potential. I just think that Bolt is one of those that never really, in-ring-wise, never found the answer in the ring. No. So, um, at this point, though, we we had fairly high hopes for him. Yeah. So, um, now the DQ finish... um, That was... That was... Anarchy had no DQs, right? There Mm -hmm. were no rules in Anarchy. Which, um... To me, became... It was very lazy. Well, that's one of the things that I I will say really did
1: define our company. I would... You know, you'd go to ACW and there'd be a million fucking run-ins. And there'd be no DQs. And I always thought that was stupid. And I think when we were planning this card, we did really... Designate that we wanted rules to be very enforced. I, uh, enforced. I was emphatic about that. Um, so yeah, that you know, this is the place where like the tradition of rules really does count, and I wanted to I wanted to make sure too that there weren't like you know if we were going to use DQs, there would not be like a million of them. Yeah. You know? Um, we try to keep every match pretty much a thing unto itself and not repeat stuff on the card. So I felt okay about the DQ finish, but that was also I'm pretty sure that was my audible.
2: Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah. Absolutely was.
1: Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about that match.
2: Yeah. Um, and then uh Palmer at the time, why he was not on this card actually, he was the uh in the booking committee for ACW. So He was,
1: was a loyalist, yeah. man. He didn't want to have anything to do with us. Um, And I was really disappointed. That actually broke my heart at the time. And I remember talking to him a lot and saying, man, I'd really love to have you, like, over at some point. Um, And he said, nah, man, I can't. Um, So, anyway, going forward, uh, you know, and I got to call you on something and and you can kind of regard this. But I do feel like there was... There was some spite involved because, oh, you know, we, we do have to go back to something. Yeah, JoJo Bravo. JoJo Bravo. We're uh, there were a lot of people that we were using who had either burnt a bridge in ACW or who just didn't want to go back for whatever personal reason. And one of the guys that uh, we used on this card, um, he didn't necessarily wrestle, um, but he showed up uh, on the card. He did a run-in. Yeah. After... Jojo defeated Alex Reigns, and um, I think this is like one of those things where people is one of the one of my first tastes of people actually coming up to me and going, "Was that was that real?" <laughs> um, but uh, Jordan Jensen ran, runs in at the end of the match with uh, Jojo Bravo and Alex Reigns, and handcuffs Jojo to the bottom rope, and then proceeds to just thrash him, and we have security come out and remove Alex. And this is heading in uh, into, uh, I think it might have been intermission.
2: Yeah, it probably would have been. Yeah, seeing as the so, card the, the card structure. Here.
1: Yeah, so then we had to like, you know, there was this whole intermission period where we were, you know, trying to get JoJo unhandcuffed from the bottom of the ro- bottom rope, and uh, but but there was there was history with Jordan. We have to go into the history with Jordan, but also. Uh, Jordan and ACW was actually in a tag team with Jojo Bravo. Yeah.
2: So um, going back on the last podcast, I talked about the September show where I, I almost just walked out. I think I did. If I didn't, yeah, you then, did. yeah, in September, yeah. I almost just walked out. Uh, the reason for that, uh, the show was performed in a downpour. Um, it was found out before the show that... Jordan and Machiko had entered a relationship um Darren had been dating Machiko beforehand so it, downpour there was a ladder match Yeah, uh, which Jordan, is
1: brilliant brilliant, yeah, right?
2: Jordan Jensen was fired for being unsafe in the ladder match and putting Davey Vega in harm which was complete and utter bullshit um and uh, I felt like it wasn't fair So um, I wanted to give Jordan an opportunity. Uh, This is another part where me and you differ in wrestling philosophy. Um, And I'll let you speak on your own. But to sum it up, basically, you believe Inspire is one, for the most part, one entity and everything happens within that entity. Uh, I have, um, for the most part, been, hey, it's the whole world. And I, I have been more open to tapping into outside storylines and involving them. And you'll see more of that towards our, in our first shows than you do now, now that we've had a chance to establish our kind of ethos. Um, so I, I wanted to play off of the fact that they were tag teams and that JoJo continued in Anarchy and Jordan was outcast. I thought that there was something there and there was something kind of real there that we could play off of.
1: Well, I will say that I, I do agree for the most part. I do push to keep inspire its own thing because, you know, uh, the Great Depression is an example of somebody that I really controlled. I wanted to do things that were uh, singular to inspire Pro. If you can just go see whatever at any other company, it doesn't it does it's not precious any longer. I really fought to keep what we did self contained to respect ourselves and to also make what we did unique. You could only see certain things at our shows. Um, But I I also will say at this point, I still played on a lot of history that occurred outside of our company. For example, the Void and the Mike Dell reveal very much played upon the fact that Mike Dell had been absent and that he was somebody that was known at another company. And you couldn't see him there anymore, but you could see him at our company. So, you know, I guess kind of a jab in a way. But, you know, yeah, Jensen was that way. And, and, And then, you know, I've got to transition from this into... Uh, Gregory James. Gregory James, rock and roll Gregory James, was uh, a wrestler that I think a lot of us who went to the ACW shows really enjoyed. But there was something that I'm I don't I was not privy to that uh, removed him from the cards and he stopped appearing on their shows for a period and so I thought this is a guy that I saw get over with the fans in Austin and so I wanted to bring him into our company but I also kind of wanted to modify him in a way that I thought was more genuinely rock and roll or counterculture so I came up with uh, he was going by Unholy Gregory James at the time but I wanted to do black metal. Gregory James and so I put him in corpse paint
2: for this show. And he was sort of do he was doing like a face paint but it wasn't the black metal paint, right? He wasn't doing any face paint. Was it was it none at no, the time No, no, none, none at all. Yeah.
1: Um and and initially Greg Greg was really uh he fought it. He really hated it. I remember he'd run when people would come up to like put the corpse paint on him, but we had This idea where, um, going forward, we were going to build this whole, like, mayhem-style stable around him where he would start kind of beating guys and then inducting them into his black metal clique, and they would all wear corpse paint, and he was just going to be unholy Gregory James, this black metal nightmare. And um, I think starting with this show, we began what would become an undefeated streak for him. I know that uh, while he he hated the idea initially, of uh, of doing the corpse paint. I remember he took the gimmick to Louisiana, and he said, "I stood out on that card, and people responded to it." It's like because at that point, no one was doing that. You know, at that point in time, I think in Texas wrestling at least, it was all guys doing MMA style gimmicks. It was when MMA was being. It was such a pervasive influence, and it was just like kick pads and trunks, and I'm the toughest guy, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, well, no, I want to see a guy with the fucking hood, and I want to yeah. see a guy in face mask, and I want to see, I want to see the Undertaker. I want to see, you know, I want to see things that are goofy. I want to, yeah, yeah look at Sting, you and, know. And that's
2: that's our yin and yang because yeah. that's you know that's right up my alley. Is uh, who who's the toughest guy, right? Um, so. Anything else on Greg James?
1: Greg James, I thought nailed the gimmick. Yeah. Uh, we also introduced uh, him misting people.
2: Yes, on the show. that's right. That's right. Uh,
1: he did a black mist, and it was yeah. it was it was a great uh, it was a great moment when he you know broke out the mist, and I think uh, people saw this guy that they really connected to uh, previously, who was more happy go lucky rock and roll Van Halen, doing this black metal thing, and uh, a lot of people were like uh, stupefied by it, but they liked the change yeah and of course his opponent was Uh,
2: we gotta go into this good old andy dalton so at this point uh andy was was fairly blacklisted in texas um andy had aligned himself with the folks at river city wrestling which had alienated him from a ton of places that he was originally working for Uh, For whatever reason, he was no longer associated with River City Wrestling and alienated from that group as well. So, the only place he was working is, I want to say MPX at this time, Mm -hmm. MPX and wherever he would travel to uh, outside of Texas. So, um, I had known Andy. Um, I remember running into him while I still worked with ACW when there was heat between Andy and ACW. And Andy basically talking shit about why he wasn't welcome anymore and me correcting him Um, and having actually uh, you know taking it aside and having an actual um, human conversation about it and um, you know I checked in on Andy from time to time and it seemed like he was progressing that he was uh, growing past the antics of his River City wrestling time as we know today that Probably just went behind closed doors more than it was actually a growth. Um, But I sort of became the Andy Whisperer at this point, right? Like nobody else could fucking get anything out of him. Um, So I was sort of able to at least get him down to Austin and then no show his crazy, stupid shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like Andy always would try to get a reaction, he'd always pitch just stuff that didn't need to happen. You know, just dumb shit. And a lot of people would just get angry that he would even pitch it. And I would just go, okay, no, Andy, we're not doing that. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, as we know now, uh, there was some more sinister stuff going on. But we you know, don't really have to go into that. Doors, at yeah. time.
1: I think we, I think that's going to come eventually. Yeah. But for the time being, since he is so ingrained in our history.
2: Yeah. We're going to have to talk about it. So now we're to the main event. Yes. Where we rebook ACW, right? Something like that? (laughs) Fuck me. The storied history of Chuck Taylor in ACW. (laughs) So let's talk about Chuck, man. Um, I love Chuck Taylor. Chuck gave us us credibility right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, Was this where we brought him in earlier or was it the next show?
1: Um, no, this, we he brought sh- him in early, um, and we had some. We, 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 we went to E6 and drank with him a good bit. Um, this was—I uh, I actually really enjoyed his company, um, and I thought he put on a hell of a show, and I was honored to work with him. Uh, and most importantly, we featured a main event that featured a talent that had never been to Texas before. Yeah. And to me, that was really important, to do a first, because the show needed a hook. Uh, and I think that you you and I butted heads a little bit but then you kind of like you're like, what the fuck? Let's yeah. throw it at the wall.
2: Well, and you have to consider two two different mindsets of where the direction of this thing was going. Um I'm glad that I'm glad that we did butt heads and that we decided to do it because our history would not be as rich without so, it. Yeah,
1: so yes, the the person that would go on to uh, go on from this match would uh be uh competing in our third show for the championship final match, another another three-way.
2: I, I do is remember. the fourth
1: show or the third show?
2: It, the championship three-way was at the fourth show. Okay. So, But I do remember being at the airport. Yeah. Just being like, all right, if this guy doesn't get off the plane. Like, right? Because <laughs> this is the first flying we ever had. Well, I
1: remember initially, too, this is funny. You wanted the main event to just simply be Davey Vega and Albert. Albert, yeah. Which had been done true and I thought that it needed something else yeah. I thought it, it, it hadn't
2: was, been done in Austin yeah but it had been done in St. Louis yeah and I I knew that you know they were becoming close so I knew that they would fucking tear it, it needed,
1: up it needed a, an unfamiliar wrinkle to yeah. spice it up to this particular uh, market
2: yeah so and then Davey Vega is somebody that I have always viewed you know, he was the the ace of St. Louis anarchy uh, he's considered one of the pillars of St. Louis anarchy I'm I will gush over St. Louis Anarchy. What uh, Matt Jackson, Pierre Abernathy does up there, I really respect, and have boldly said I steal some of his ideas, and will continue to. Um, so Davy was definitely somebody I wanted involved, wanted on the cards, and he, he's always just been a pleasure to deal with. Yeah. Um, I also needed somebody in St. Louis that wasn't a child, that could coordinate that car load when they came down. Yeah. So, um, and then.
1: The match was everything I
2: wanted it to be. Yeah, it, well, let's talk about Albert oh here too. Oh boy, okay. Let's talk about Albert. So, ACH came down. The match was great. Um, dealing with Albert was not fun that night. That no. was one of the nights where it was was not not much fun. I, I'm sure most people listening know, but I have a long history with with the Albert. Uh, damn near consider him family. Um, and I didn't feel like he was treating me like a family as no. we put the show together. Part of that's probably because, you know, I I did use kind of the shadow management thing, right? I should have <laughs> just come out and go, dude, it's my fucking show. Help me out, brother. Um, but I remember telling Vega, like, yeah, man, uh, when I was talking to him about Darren Dean, yeah, we probably won't be bringing Albert back either. Because yeah. I, Dar- I knew Vega would tell fucking Albert, right? Um Yeah, he's acting like a fucking asshole. Like We're probably not going to bring him back. This
1: was also, I think, when you... I I mean, I wasn't going to say much about Albert because I I had some words with him at shows following, but I I got the general sense from a lot of people that I should not have been there. Uh, Yeah. Very much treated like I was a fan who was overstepping his boundaries, like I had no business in the locker room, but the truth of the matter was still, though, that I had negotiated the building, I'd pulled all this shit together, I got all the details uh in, in order, and I had essentially booked the card with you. And uh and in spite of the fact that I'd put in some effort, there was a great deal of resentment that I had never laced up a pair of boots, brother.
2: Yeah. You know, that was Well, and I I think that was a perception of a lot of the boys, right? Yeah. Um and I think when it was like no man, that like guy got this Got us the building. That guy did this. There was kind of a well. You just tell me that so that I accept it, right? So, yeah.
1: I uh, but but this this prejudice would persist for
2: I think several years. Yeah, you had Um, you had to pay your dues, brother. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I I I mean, you know, I I like like to think that I did. I think I I think I showed that I was dedicated to it, and that you know, when I needed to, I could pull something out of my pocket. I would pay for shows. I would I stepped up. I did this because I loved it. Because I wanted to continue to provide a, a good outlet, ultimately, for people that I thought were talented so that they could grow, so they could continue to make uh, money in what they did, so that they could support themselves, to some extent, doing what they love. And that was ultimately my goal, was to create a no-drama zone that really focused on logical book- booking, uh, even though a lot of the guys said, oh, this doesn't make sense. That's, that's another thing that I got was that a lot of people this first show would come up to me and go, where's this going, man? And I would say, well, we're going to do this, and this is the arc. And they'd go, oh, well, you can't book long-term. But the first thing most wrestlers ask me yeah. is, where is it going? Where is it going? Well, if I'm going to tell you where it's going, and you're just going to say that I can't go anywhere with it, then why are you even asking me? <laughs> so,
2: Yeah. So, and I remember you asking me, like, how am – how am I gonna pay my dues? I don't know if that was like after somebody had brought it up to you or, or it was an early concern and I couldn't really give you an answer. Yeah. But you like it's the funny thing, right? Like I'm the I'm the wrestling guy, right? But like, how did I pay my fucking dues, right? I had to find ways to do it, right? I think you ended up having to go on a similar journey to do yeah. that. Uh and I think definitely at this point it was and that's, I think, a lot of people involved with wrestling that don't get in the the um, usual way go through that to where you get the, well, why the fuck is this person here? I remember my first year always feeling that way. I don't, I don't know if I had that thrust upon me, um, but I definitely felt that way every time yeah. I was at a show. Like, oh, these fuckers don't think I need to be here. Um, the last thing I'll say about Chuck Taylor, right? Chuck Taylor fucking came in busted his fucking ass for us had no reason to give us the amount of effort he did was super fucking awesome gave us credibility right out of the gate gave us an amazing fucking main event that i think really helped and then any other words on chuck
1: no just i i enjoyed working with him and you know uh it was it was kind of a dream come true
2: yeah, so it wasn't 30 people, was it? No, it wasn't
1: 30 yeah. people. Uh, as you said, it was closer to 150. I was really proud proud of that. I think I remember I remember uh, walking up to you and and when you were like, you know, during like I think it was the second match and I said, "Are you happy?" and you said, "I'm very happy." Yeah. And um I think at that point we knew I think we were all kind of surprised by how well it had done, even at 150 people for a sh- first show. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen, and we covered our asses. And uh, beyond that, the fan reaction was fairly strong and positive.
2: Yeah, the um, it, the show came, came together well. The fans loved it. Um, we didn't shortchange anybody. We paid everybody that was on the card. We paid for the building. I mean, fuck. Uh, it went as smooth as you could expect the first show to go.
1: Yeah. So... Yeah, I think uh, I think the funniest thing though was that that night, uh, as we were cleaning up the hall, sweeping out everything, and uh, paying everybody out, I in my head uh, just sort of thought, "Oh shit, we got to do this again." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. We,
2: at that point we were thinking monthly. Our our thought process shifted yeah. very quickly, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. but anyway, that
1: was that was the first show, and. Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, we can think of talk about that thought process change on the next episode. Yes. of Inspire so, AD. If you're if you're still
1: still here, <laughs> thank you uh, thank you for enduring. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time.